fall has returned. And so have you guys. Come back and listen to another episode of Outdoors with me, Lawrence Gunther. On this episode, Lily and I ponder the hunter's moon, how it got its name. We've also got some live audio that we recorded on Thanksgiving weekend, camping with the family down by the lake. I've got some tips on camping blind and a few reflections to share on the many forms camping takes. What kind of camping suits you? So come along with Lewis and I. This is probably our last paddle on the lake for this fall. Getting schooled with Miss Lily. Hey, Lily. Hey. That was cold but fun camping on the Thanksgiving weekend. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, did you enjoy most of that? Some of it? A bit of it? <laughs> what? No. Oh, you can take the girl out no, of the city, no, no, but you no, can't no, take no, the city no, out of the no, girl? No, don't run me with that. That is, that is fooey. You know that. Oh, I know that. You know I like camping. I, I, I finished my camping for the year. Yeah, it was a little cold. It was a little cold. Oh, I didn't like camping with my nephews. That was it. My brother, that was bad. But I noticed you didn't go swimming with your sister. Why would I have done that? I'm not a psychopath. Buck, 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 buck. <laughs> Unlike you, I don't fall for intimidation and peer pressure. I'm a little more mature, but thank you. Okay. All right. All right. We'll leave it at that then. Next year. Yeah. We did manage to see this year's Hunter's Moon. Yeah, we did. What can you tell us about that? Well, in most years, the full moon called the Hunter's Moon falls in October. In 2022, the Hunter's Moon rose near sunset in the eastern sky on on October 9th. The bright light just west of the moon was the planet Jupiter. Oh, Jupiter. Yep. That's the big one, right? The biggest one. The gas giant. The gas giant. So why do we call this full moon Hunter's Moon? I mean, I I like the name. (laughs) I'm all good for that name. But, uh, and I love the fall, you know. And when I used to hunt, when I could see more, and I had my hunting license, and I went out with my friends hunting. Uh I I love going out in the fall with the beagles. The beagles. Just being out in the bush with the dogs and my buddies. It was so much fun. I I miss that. I want to get back to that again. Mm. And and, and you know what? You have it back. You can go. I know. I got my hunter's license back. They found it. Yeah, I know. (laughs) I don't know why we're not going. And I asked the ministry. I said, hey, can I hunt with someone, a licensed hunter with me, and, and use some technology on my rifle or my shotgun to help me with the hunting. And, and they got back to me and said, yeah, that's no problem. You started blind fishing boat, right? You're going to start, what is it, blind hunting gun? No, I'm not. No, everyone I know who hunts as a blind person, they don't make a big deal about it. They don't want to scare the public. No kidding. <laughs> no, we should stop talking about this. Talk to me about how it got its name. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, as seen from the entire globe, a full moon is always opposite the sun. Uh-huh. So all full moons rise in the east around sunset and all full moons set in the west around sunrise. But full <laughs> moons have different characteristics, uh, mostly related to their paths across the sky. Okay. Yeah. Full moons in the northern hemisphere that occur during the time of year called the Equinox, Equinox, which is when day and night both last 12 hours. But that's not the case up in this where we live. It, it, it's not quite like that. That For that, you have to live right on the equator. Mm-hmm. Have, yeah. Mm-hmm. When it starts, the moon follows a path across the sky that makes a narrow angle with respect to the eastern evening horizon. So it's just above the horizon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in the early autumn, when you see a bright moon in the east shortly after sunset for several evenings in a row... That is the harvest moon. The mm, full the moon. moon. Yeah. yeah. We talked about the harvest moon. Yeah. Yeah. The full moon closest to the September equinox. 
Mm-hmm. That's what that is. Okay. The hunter's moon is the name of the full moon following the harvest moon. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Since the harvest moon can come either before or after the equinox, the harvest moon can sometimes fall in October, which it does every three or four years. Mm-hmm. Uh, when this happens, the hunter's moon, the full moon following the harvest moon, yeah. falls early november that happens next in the year 2025 you can catch all that yeah 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 october november this year it was on Mm -hmm. thanksgiving lily is there a story like a myth or something associated with the uh, the name the hunter's moon yeah there are many stories how different full moons got their names okay so from a practical standpoint both the harvest and hunter's moon provided light in the evenings for farmers and hunters to finish their tasks oh so practical reasons yeah the practical standpoint yeah it means farmers can stay out later working in their fields gathering in the crops before the first freeze yeah harvest moon yeah after the harvest farmers often turn to hunting deer and other animal to bolster their food stores before winter Ah. that's not the case anymore as hunting regulations across canada you know they require that all hunting stops 30 minutes after sunset yeah they don't want people walking around there with guns shooting them off in the dark at things to hear you know no shooting at sounds that's a big faux pas precisely is a hunter's moon bigger and brighter no no the hunter's moon it's just um an ordinary moon oh so it's an ordinary full moon with a special path across our sky. Yeah. Still, many of us do think the hunter's moon looks bigger mm-hmm. or um, brighter and more orange than usual. Yeah, it's the location of the moon near the horizon that causes full moons to look big and orange. Okay. The orange color of a moon near the horizon is a true physical effect. So when you look towards the horizon, you're looking through a greater thickness of Earth's atmosphere than when you gaze up, you know, overhead. Straight up, yeah. Mm-hmm. The atmosphere scatters blue light, which is why the sky looks blue. Oh, okay. Yeah, the greater thickness of atmosphere in the direction of a horizon scatters blue light most effectively, but it, it lets red light pass. So a full moon near the horizon, any full moon, takes on a yellow or orange or red hue. There you go. That's the answer. As for the bigger than usual size of moons, when seen near the horizon, that's a trick that your eyes are playing, an illusion. It's called the moon illusion. Oh, you sighted people. You're always being tricked. Yeah, doesn't that sound like a cool (laughs) movie name? The moon illusion. The moon illusion. Yeah. As long as it has nothing to do with mooning. No, no, no one ever said it. No, we don't. Thank don't, you for being so mature in this episode. <laughs> First, you you called me a chicken, and now you're talking about this. Mooding. I think you're no longer the adult in this dynamic. <laughs> I've been surpassed. Yeah, well, a while back, buddy. Can I have an allowance? As if I get an allowance. Well, he doesn't give me money. Oh, who's waiting for their jeans to come by Amazon? You told me when we were camping. You need more pants, Lily. You don't have enough pants. Camping. Pants for camping. Yeah, I was wearing my leggings and the fire oh, burned a hole in them. <laughs> More than one. And then you were like, you need, you need thicker pants. I don't, I don't own pants. Oh, yeah. No, you got a lot of holes in your pants. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I have. I, uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. So I hope they weren't designer jeans. They were Lululemon leggings. Wow. Yeah. You wore those to the campfire? They're the only pants I have. Oh, my goodness. Time for the bucket list. Polar dip fundraising kind of events often make the news. You know, people gathered around, a hole in the ice, jumping in, climbing out really fast, lots of screaming and shouting. But what we don't hear about are all those people that quietly go about the business of cold water swimming. 
Alexandra. Hey, Dad. What are you doing down here at the <laughs> lake? I'm going to go for a swim. How warm do you think this water is? Well, I don't know. I think it's pretty cold. <laughs> Not too cold, though. That, Only had one frost, I think, so far. Yeah, yeah. last night. Last night, right. <laughs> and most, most of today. But the sun's shining. Yeah, it feels but, a little bit warmer with the sun. But there's a breeze. Yeah, I think it would be easier to get in since it's so cold out. Okay, do you think the lake is warmer than the air? Well, I haven't touched it yet, but my guess would be... Uh, at this point, I think it may be the same temperature. I'm, I'm guessing the lake's warmer than the... Uh, okay, well, then, I, then this will be really easy. Yeah, <laughs> getting out will be harder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what do you need to do to prepare yourself mentally yeah, to mentally. do this? Okay, well, I, I would say one thing, like a habit that I've taken up is ending my showers cold. I think that's more of a physical, but it does prepare me a bit psychologically because it has taught me how to be with cold water and a, to not get tense in my body and to not anticipate it as something unpleasant. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So it keeps my kind of nervous system from reacting as if it's a threat yeah. to the shock of it. So, yeah, desensitizing myself to the shock physically, but also preparing my mind by not anticipating it as something unpleasant mm -hmm. and not uh, tensing my mind or body against the water, but really opening to it in a, like becoming more receptive, I th I'd say. You know, when people fall out of boats mm. and hit the cold water, mm. they don't die of hypothermia. They drown because they hit the water and they go, ah! oh. and they suck in a big lung full of water. They panic. That's what you're talking about. Just right. not getting that like, ah, oh, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think they've done studies on, you know, pain and co they use cold water sometimes for, for pain studies. Yeah. And uh, they've shown that anticipation, the anticipation and the expectation of pain really increases the amount of pain that people feel and experience. You do a lot of cold water swimming. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've always liked to swim in cold water, but I've been a bit of a chicken for sure. Usually it would take me a few minutes to get in. Now I just, I, I kind of, I'm not as scared. I don't think about it at this point. Well, I think you were a year old or two years old when we got <laughs> that cabin in Cape Breton. Yes. And that was brackish, half salt, half fresh water, but I don't think it ever got over 70 degrees. <laughs> yeah. Over, over 18 Celsius kind of thing. Yeah. But you swam in there every summer. That's right. That was good preparation. Remember you always saying I would swim like a little frog and uh, oh my goodness. I still do swim like a frog. <laughs> That's my favorite stroke. Yeah, I could see a little the, bit then and you and you looked like a frog the way you did your arms and legs. It was yeah, very cute. Yeah, I still look like that. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'll go underwater today. Usually I no. like to get in there, but but my hair is get wet. So your hair is tied up? It's tied up. It's pretty bit long and take forever to dry in front of the fire. So, so. you don't coat your skin with special oils or anything to repel the cold water? <laughs> Some seal fat, unfortunately. <laughs> Couldn't find any today. No, you're all out, are you? <laughs> yeah. Do you bring a towel right away? It's so warm when you get out because your body, I don't know what happens. I couldn't explain it, but yeah, you get sort of tingly in the water eventually and it feels very hot. And so when you get out initially, it feels warm. So I take a, I take a little bit of time to enjoy that and then I wrap myself up okay. and get warm and make sure I'm warm after because certainly I feel my body temperature start to fall like maybe 10 minutes later. Yeah. So look, I've been blocking the wind. Yeah. They're keeping you from doing this. So I'm going to listen okay. and uh, do what you got to do. Talk, talk to me about as you're going and what you're feeling. And, okay, I'll uh, try my best to tell you. Oh, it's not too bad here. It's muddy, a muddy entry. Yeah. yeah. So where I'd launch my kayaks normally. Yeah. So how, how deep are you? So right now, Oh, it's, now it's starting to drop a bit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> we've got we've got fans. <laughs> People are coming to watch. Now I'm about waist high, so I think I'm just gonna go in from here. Okay, all right. There she's in. Woo! <laughs> you're now you're famous. Okay, I got my digital talking thermometer. It's about the size of a small paperback novel. It's got a button on the front. When I hold the button down, it'll say indoor temperature, blah, blah, outdoor temperature. But the indoor temperature is actually the air temperature because that's the what the built-in thermometer on the box. And the outdoor temperature is at the end of this eight foot or two meter wire with a little end on it and I'm and that's supposed to be the outdoor temperature but I'm plunking that in the water so that's in the water I'm gonna give it a few a, a minute just to for that probe to get to uh, water temperature it takes about a minute before it gets to water temperature I'm gonna press a button it'll say indoor temperature which is the air outside here and it's gonna say outdoor temperature and that's gonna be the temperature of the water so let's see what it says the indoor temperature is 15.9 degrees Celsius temperature is 15.7 degrees Celsius. Almost the same. The water and the air are almost the same. And that's exactly what Alexander suspected. Outdoor tips and tech. Six degrees on your left. 122 meters. Here's a few tips I recorded live along the shore of Astrolab Lake near Cobden, Ontario. So I'm just walking along here through the campground and I can smell my fire. I can feel the heat of my fire. There's my wood box. Fire's going good. Trick with a fire, once you've got your bed of coals, put three things in the same size. And you, two side by side and then the third one on top in the groove that the two other logs make. So it ends up like a little triangle at the end, but basically it's three logs piled together. The three logs will burn each other. Two logs on itself, they'll burn out. One log will definitely burn out real fast. When I mean burn out, it won't burn down, it just goes out. With three logs, they will act like a candle. The top log sucks the heat from below, and the two logs below sort of burn in the center. Every so often you just have to roll them a little bit so that the fresh wood goes down towards the coals at the bottom. The red coals turn out towards you a bit, give the heat. And there you go, you got a good fire. The trick to building a fire, and I know I covered this two and a half years ago, but you know what? It's so good, I want to cover it again as I'm looking and feeling the beautiful heat of this fire and smelling it and listening to it. You can't get that from a gas fireplace. You can get the heat from a gas fireplace, but you don't get the smell, you don't get the sound. Yeah, it's great. So, how do you build a fire when you're outside or in a wood stove? In any situation. This is my go-to method. I take three logs, about as thick as your wrist. They can be split, it's better if they're split, as long as they're not wet wood or green wood. Put those three logs at the bottom. Even four if you have it. So you end up like a square of wood in the bottom of your fire pit. Then take smaller pieces that are definitely split or, you know, bigger than your thickness of your thumb. More like if you had your three fingers together. That big. 
and you lay them crosswise on those three or four logs at the bottom. So now you're crisscrossing them all the way across. So now you have a, another rectangle on top of that. And then you repeat that again with thinner pieces on top of that. And as you repeat this crisscross, crisscross pile of wood, then three or four layers up, you're putting just pieces in there as thick as your finger. And a bunch of those. And then on top of that, take a couple pieces of paper, small sheets of paper, and just roll them up, sort of crinkle them up into logs that are crinkly, not packed, not a solid piece of paper. You lay those down on top, and then you put your shavings and your twigs on top of that. So you want to do this with one match, right? That's the goal, one match. Light your match, you can cover it with your body so it doesn't blow out right away. Position your body between the wind and the fire you're going to start. Then feel the heat of the match, guide that down with your free hand towards the paper, touch the paper without knocking over the pile, set the end of that piece of paper on fire. And if you have enough wood on your match left, set the other end on fire. Then they catch, and they catch the wood, the little twigs on top of them, and then that all just drops down into the thin wood below. And then that catches and drops down, and so on and so on. You don't want to touch it while this is happening. It'll take five minutes, maybe even ten. But in 20 minutes, those logs at the bottom, they've got coals, and you've got a good fire. And from then on, like I said, just keep piling in your three pieces from then on. Just three pieces. When they burn down, three new pieces, and so on. And the kids and the grandkids, they've all gone for a walk, so I'm taking care of the fire. Man, you never leave a fire unattended. I've got a hose nearby here, just in case. There's wind, and there's leaves, and it's crisp, but there's no fire ban. I have to make sure you're around in case something happens. Can you hear the music? I always have music going. That's why I always know where I am. I always have one bit of music on the outside of my camper. I always find it that way. There it is. Little country music, non-offensive to anybody, and it doesn't have a big booming bass. No one wants to hear a big booming bass rolling out of your campground, but a little country in the background. I've never had a complaint. Just finished making 10 grilled cheese sandwiches on the Blackstone griddle. I'm just giving it a little clean up here. A bit of a spritzer with the water and uh, my spatula here. Just give it a little scrape, get the crusty bits off. I love this griddle. I feel like a short order cook in a diner. Difference being, I'm standing outside in this beautiful campground at my outdoor kitchen with its flip-up roof and sink and fridge and blackstone griddle and my radio. Listen to some Luke Combs. Yeah, I think that should do it. Shut that off. Now, before I finish here, I'll add a bit of oil on a piece of paper towel. Give it a wipe. Make sure everything's nice, coated with a good thin coat. It doesn't have to be thick, but it has to be coated with oil, otherwise it's, it's going to rust. This is carbon steel, 
it's not iron, it's not an iron griddle, it's a carbon steel griddle, but it will rust. It's just bare steel. A little bit of humidity can just really make the whole thing go rusty. And then you gotta sand it down and start over. It's not the end of the griddle, unless it gets pitted. If it really gets rusty, it gets pitted, then you've got a big grinding job, files and sandpaper and trying to get the pit out. You'll never get it all out, it doesn't really matter in the end. But once you get it down to the bare steel, and when you buy these things, you have to treat them. You treat them by heating them up, a thin coat of oil, heat them up until they smoke, and then let them cool down, now apply another thin coat of oil, heat them up again until it smokes, and let it cool down a bit, apply another thin coat of oil. And you do that three to five times, and the carbon steel goes from gray to black. And that black is a sort of a, it's like a coating, a hard big coating of when the oil turns to a polymer. And it, that's what gives it its non-stick qualities. It's the same way you cure an iron frying pan. I'm just gonna, this is probably the last time I'm gonna use this. We're getting near the end of October. Time to put the trailer away. Get out the ice fishing gear. But I don't be using this griddle and the ice fishing gear. It's too heavy to be bring it out on the ice with everything else I need to bring out on the ice. I, when you're out on the ice, you want to keep your, your load as light as you can, because you have to move it all physically, manually. I don't have a big set of wheels like this trailer here to haul it all around for me. Having a trailer, you've got to be careful because you keep adding stuff. Every time you find a, a spot that's not filled, you think, oh, I could put something there and I could put this there, and you just keep adding and filling and adding and filling. This trailer empty weighs 8,300 pounds. It's got a payload capacity of another 2,300 pounds. So a total of 10,600 pounds it, it, fully loaded is the maximum weight that this trailer can haul. Now, I'll never fill it up to 10,600 pounds. I try to keep it around 9,000, 9,500 pounds, which is a lot of weight because my truck can only pull 11,300 pounds. So yeah, I'm 10% below the maximum tow capacity of my truck, which is about as high as you want to go. You don't want to reach your tow capacity of your tow vehicle, and you definitely don't want to exceed it, especially for insurance purposes, reliability purposes. If you get in an accident, you cause an accident because you overloaded your tow vehicle, by whatever you're pulling or carrying, your insurance can deny your claim, leaving you personally fully on the hook because you look negligent and knowingly negligent. Whether you camp out under the stars with a bedroll, climb into a tent, prefer the glamping of a yurt, Pull around a travel trailer or tent trailer, or maybe a fifth wheel, or like the idea of a Class B motorhome, something small and compact, or a giant Winnebago. There's many ways to get outdoors. The point is, you're finding ways to make being outside the norm, and staying inside just to get out of the weather and sleep. Now more than ever, we're living, relaxing, and staying for incredible long periods of time within our home. Hey, COVID taught us to stay home if we can. And as sweet as it is to come home, there's also a great big amazing world unfolding out there that 
deserves our attention. Don't let people tell you that their way is the only true way to camp. It's not about the act itself. It's about what is made possible by camping. You don't want to get trapped into believing that the whole point is acquiring and learning how to use sophisticated camping equipment and the best and biggest and most expensive and luxurious camping equipment and to compete with your neighbor. That's just about collecting gear. That's not about exploring and adventuring. Yeah, you need gear to do this, but it's a means to the end. You're more than the person responsible for taking care of your things. Yeah, take care of your things and they'll take care of you, but it doesn't have to become a full-time job. Select your equipment to do what it is you want to do, whether it's a a knapsack and a tent to go canoe camping with or just a bedroll to sleep out under the stars. And if you're one of those that loves nothing more than just going to the cottage, good for you. Hey, I've been there, done that. Everyone loves a beautiful cottage by the lake or in the mountains. It's beautiful to have a getaway space like that. That's just there. You can dream about it. And you can think about being there when you're feeling stressed. And even if you're not there, it can still bring calmness to your heart. And as life circumstances change, so will your camping preferences. It's not easy to be backpacking with a full pack on your back with your gear and sleeping bags and tent and holding two babies at the same time. That's why they invented car camping. And at some point, you just want to get off the ground, glamping a mattress and a bed. And then maybe you want to have some mobility. And then you get into the trailers or the motorhomes and so on and so forth. And then maybe you come full circle again and end up back in a cabin. I kind of see that on my horizon. Follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or visit me at lawrencegunther.com to keep up to date on my blogs and video. I want to thank Nazreen Abdel-Majid, the manager of AMI Audio, Zandy Frank. Hi, I'm Ramia Amuthan. Join me weekly for AMI Audiobook Review, the podcast that explores new titles, introduces us to famous narrators, and updates what's hot at the Center for Equitable Library Access. Download episodes of AMI Audiobook Review from your favorite podcast provider.